If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, open over to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and we'll be in the first verse. Uh, you can uh, follow along on U version too. Uh, if you have the U version app, go to the bottom, more, hit event, and it should be uh, it should pop up uh, Cornerstone No Water. And while you're turning there or getting there on the U version app. Uh, we, if we're to be honest, we all have that, if you watch TV, we have that TV show that it's kind of silly, and maybe we, we watch a little bit, and it's like, God, oh, I could be doing other things, but yet, we're just glued to it, right? Like, we, we keep coming back to it because it's kind of our, I wouldn't say guilty pleasure, but it's our, our show that we watch whenever, you know, it's just on. Well, for me, that show is Pawn Stars. That's my show. And uh, it's silly, I'll watch it, I, I feel it's staged, but yet I keep getting glued to it every time I see a clip. I go down this rabbit hole where I'm watching all these other clips. And if you've never watched the show, this is what happens. So somebody will come into the store and it'll be like, hey, I found this bookmark in my cousin's attic and I think it's rare. And they'll go through, or whoever is at the desk, it's either uh, Rick, who's the owner of the shop, or uh, for a while it was the old man, as they called him, Rick's dad, until he passed away. And then there's Chumley and Corey, Rick's son. And they'll come up to the desk and the person will explain what it is they found and uh, they'll go into this history lesson about what this item is and how rare it is and how many of them they made and all of this stuff. And then you get to the point where it's, so what are you looking to do with it? I'm looking to sell it. All right, how much do you want for it? Well, I think it's pretty rare. rare. I want like a quarter of a million dollars for it. And... Not, not always that steep. Sometimes it seems like there's things that steep. But they look at it and they look kind of befuddled. And they're like, well, it could possibly go for this. I've seen it go on market for a, do- or a dollar to uh, $50,000. So it could be anything. But then they always have an expert. For everything you can think of, if it's a coin, a gun, a book, a con- whatever, there's always an expert close by that they call and the expert comes in and they look at it and they repeat the history of this item that we've already seen and they say, oh, this is in really, really good condition. Okay, the question is, how much does it go for? Well, at auction, this can go for this much or this much or this much and sometimes it's more than what the person thought and so... They're like, okay, how much do you want for it now? Well, you heard the expert. I want what they said. Well, I can't sell it for that much. Or sometimes the expert says it's this much, and they're like, ooh, that's not as much as I thought it was going to be. I was expecting it to be way more. And sometimes they're like, oh, that expert's just wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. And then they haggle, and then they either sell the item, or they walk out and say, it was just too low. I couldn't part for it with that, for that amount of money. But sometimes there's a twist. And I probably enjoy the twist way more than I should. And it's especially when somebody gets mad when they find it out. The expert comes in and they look at it and they say, it's fake. It's fake. And then oftentimes, one of two things happen. Either they say, 
well, I still would like to sell it. I would still think I can get this much out of it. Well, it's fake. I know, but it's rare. Even if it is fake, it's rare. Or they say, I'm really disappointed to learn today that this item was fake. But see, here's what usually happens when they find out it's a fake. They're quick to say, I just can't do business with you. And why is that? Why couldn't he do that? Because this item, it's not real. It's fake. It lacks authenticity. It lacks authenticity. Without that authenticity, with the fact that there's real ones out there, and this is fake, somebody forged a signature or whatever, there's no value in it. And it may look cool sitting on their shelf, but it's not real. It's not authentic. You see, this morning, we're wrapping up a series called The Moral of the Story. And up until this point, we've been in Matthew 13, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at different parables that talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a sower who goes out and he sows his seed and he he throws it out, he scatters his seed and it it goes into different type of soil. It, it hits the, the, rock or the, the hard soil where it can't get into the ground. And because of that, it doesn't grow. It doesn't even have a chance to grow. It's snuffed out before anything begins. There's a seed that falls into the, the rocky soil and it grows up, but it ends up getting snuffed out. The, the seed and the thorns, the thorns grow up alongside the seed and it chokes it out. But then there's that good seed that grows and it produces crops. And Jesus said there's different types of people that match these soils. We talked about the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast and how a small thing can grow into something big. And we looked at how this thing that we call Christianity, it started with a small group of people, but over time the gospel spread and it went out to the Gentiles and it just boomed. And how we can make an impact, small, insignificant us, as we think of ourselves can make an impact for Jesus Christ if we live for Him, if we are willing to uh, stand for Him, if we're willing to tell people about Him. Talked about the parable of the, the hidden treasure and the pearl, and the point of these stories were to show that these tre- or this treasure, this pearl, it's, it's so significant that it's worth giving up everything to possess, to have that treasure, to have that pearl in their grasp. It's worth giving up everything. And we talked about how the kingdom of heaven, to be with God, it's worth giving up everything. There's a cost to following Jesus, but that cost is worth it when we look at all the the lifestyle choices we make, the things that we do. We can give all those up knowing that those things can't even compare to Jesus Christ. And so... This morning now we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 22. And in Matthew chapter 22, we find ourselves in the third of a string of parables that Jesus is talking about. And he's talking to the religious leaders and really he's talking about the religious leaders. And the problems that the nation of Israel and its leaders have had for so long. And especially at Jesus' day. And in Matthew chapter 21, 28 through 32, we see this parable of the two sons. One son's told to go work in the vineyard, and he says he would not do it, but then he ended up going and doing as he was told. 
The other son was told the same thing, and he said he would, and he never did go out and work. And when asked who did what the father wanted, the religious leader said the first. And Jesus used this to tell them that the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they would enter heaven before them because they believed. And the sad thing is, the religious leaders did not, even after all the things they saw, did not believe in him. In Matthew 21, 33 through 46, we read the parable of the tenants. And it's a, a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a wine press. He built a watchtower. And then he rented it out to some farmers. And harvest time comes and he sends the servants out to collect his fruit. And the tenants, however, beat, kill, and stone the servants. And so he's, the landowner sends out more servants and they do the same thing to them beat kill and stone them and so finally the owner decides well i think what i'm going to do is i'm going to send my son surely they're not going to kill my son who why would they kill my son but no they kill his son and so jesus asks them what's going to happen when the land owner comes to them and they say man there's going to be he's going to be angry there's going to be Man, there's going to be problems for them. And Jesus is telling them they're going to lose the kingdom and it's going to be given to those who will produce fruits. And so he's going to continue this morning. We're going to continue this morning this string of parables and it's a, a wedding banquet. And you see he's talking to this group of people and they know in Matthew chapter 21, they can tell at the end of chapter 21, they know who he's talking to and they know who he's talking about. A group of people who lack authenticity in their faith. And this morning I think that far more than we would like to believe, there's so many people who claim to have faith, but it lacks authenticity. And we see a similar story this morning in Matthew 22. And so we're going to be in Matthew 22, starting uh, with verses 1 and 2. And it says this. It says, Then Jesus spoke to them again in parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So Jesus, again, continuing his parables. This time he's going to talk about it in the form of a wedding banquet. A king has prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And this would be an important event in any part in history for uh, a royal wedding. We see things sometimes when there's a big royal wedding and everybody's there, right? Everybody who is everybody is at this big royal wedding and it's on TV and it's on our magazine covers. When you go to check out at a grocery store, you see the covers it's all about the royal wedding it's a big deal whenever there's a royal wedding and we start out by seeing here some important things first a wedding banquet why is he using a wedding banquet well banquets were often used in scripture as a symbol for fellowship between god and his people matthew 8 11, it says i say to you that many will come from east and the west and will take their places at the feast with abraham isaac and jacob in the kingdom of heaven luke 13 29 people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast of the kingdom or in the kingdom of god revelation 19 9 then the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb and he added these are the true words of god 
And in this story, Jesus is the bridegroom. He's the one for whom this banquet is being prepared. And we see Jesus refer to himself in a similar way in Matthew 9, 15. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. And you see this wedding banquet, most of the time when there's a royal wedding, there's only certain people who will be invited in. And usually it's the upper class, right? It's the the high and the mighty who would be invited to these wedding banquets, these feasts. The lower class would never really be expecting an invite. And he continues on though in verses 3 through 6. And it says this, it says, He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And so he sends his servants out to tell them, come on, the banquet is ready. It has been prepared. Let's go. Come on. You are invited. Let's go to the banquet. But the people refuse to come. And a matter of fact, in the Greek, we see here an imperfect verb tense. And what this would mean is not only are they refusing to come, but they have been refusing to come. They've been asking, come on, come on, come on. And they keep refusing. They keep denying the invitation. And so the king sends out more servants to tell them that everything is prepared, everything is ready. He has used his his oxen, his fattened cattle. Everything is ready, it's prepared. And yet, it just didn't work. Some go off and do business. Some went out to work in their fields. But then some seize the servants, mistreat them, and kill them. And you see, this would have been outrageous. Think about Jesus is telling the story. This would have been outrageous to the people listening. Nobody turns down an invite like this. Nobody turns down an invitation from the king to come to a banquet. You don't do that. Think about it today. If somebody invited you to a royal wedding, you don't turn down the invitation to the royal wedding. You go to the royal wedding, right? Like that, Not very many people get invites. So if you were to tell somebody, yeah, I got invited to this royal wedding, but I'm just not going to go. They'd be like, you're crazy. Why would you not go to this wedding? See, Jesus is saying this for a reason. There are those who weren't interested in going to the banquet for whatever reason. That's much like, much like today, there are going to be people who just aren't interested in the gospel. You can tell them about the good news. You can tell them about Jesus. You can tell them about what he's done in your life. And some people are just not going to be interested. And then, man, some of his servants were killed for asking and this probably, I don't know if they, they caught it or if they did, if it stung, or they probably just didn't care. You know, Jesus is telling them, guess what? The nation of Israel, their ancestors, man, they've killed the prophets. People who were telling them about what's to come. These people, these prophets were killed. We'll see it later with Jesus. We'll see it later with the apostles. There are those today who are pretty hostile against those who choose to believe. Look all over the world. There's people who die every day for their faith. 
And the message here starts to become more clear. This is tying back to the previous parables dealing with how Israel and its leaders refused to listen. They didn't listen to the prophets and they refused to accept Jesus as the Son of God. Listen to what Stephen says in Acts. Acts chapter 7 verse 52. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Jesus knew who he was talking to. But you see there's a penalty for this. Verse 7. It says the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murders and burned their city. You see, in the last parable, Jesus asked them, what do you think is going to happen when the landowner comes? Here, Jesus does not ask. He tells them. He tells them a time is coming when there will be consequences for your actions, when the consequences for your unbelief. And many commentators believe that this is a partial prophecy that will be fulfilled in Jerusalem and the Jerusalem destruction of the temple in AD 70 at the hands of Rome. This would make sense when you look back in the Old Testament. God often used other nations to bring judgment upon Israel because of their rebellion. And so there's going to be a penalty. There's going to come a a cost for what they've done. But now what? Now what? What happens? The, The banquet has been prepared. The feast has been prepared. The banquet is ready. So what happens? There has to be guests, right? If there's a royal wedding with no guests, that doesn't look good for the king. And so the king has a plan. And in verses 8 through 10, he says this. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. The banquet must go on. There must be people to feed. And so he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go out and grab everybody you can. Bring them in to the banquet. They were told to go out to every street corner and fork in the road where people were likely to be found and invite them in. And all were invited to come in. But then there's a twist in the story. There's a twist in the story. And verses 11 through 14 tells us about this twist. It says, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now the guests have come, but yet there's this twist in the story. There's a man at the banquet, but he's not adequately dressed for the event. And so what's the problem here? What's the problem here? Why is this an issue? Well, he sees this man and he approaches him and he wants to know why he is not dressed appropriately. See, some commentators and scholars believe that kings at weddings would hand out appropriate clothing for people to change into when they get to the banquet. If this is the case, uh, maybe he just decided, I'm not going to wear this. I don't want to wear this. If the king handed out uh, clothes to everybody, not all believe this, but uh, those who don't believe this is necessarily the case even say, hey, 
he could have gone home, changed, and then went to the wedding. These other people who were invited, they came in, in proper clothing. This man could have went, changed, and come back. And we see he even uses the word friend, and the word friend in this context is a rebuke. It's not meant like a, hey, friend, it's, it, it's a rebuke. And because he does not dress appropriately, he is kicked out of the house. And we see this phrase that he uses here, there will tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a phrase that we see Jesus use several times and it's often used to relay a sense of judgment. A time of judgment is coming again. Remember who he's talking to. A time of judgment is coming. Matthew eight twelve. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13.42 uses it too. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what's the problem? Well, you see, this man comes in and he wants to come into the banquet on his own terms. There, there's a standard. There's a, you know, you, you need to wear these clothes. You need to dress appropriately to be included in this banquet. Yet he comes in and he comes in on his own terms. I'm not going to dress nice for this. I was invited. I'm going to come in however I want. And I'm going to act however I want. And it doesn't matter. He enters in on his own terms. And the problem is that doesn't go in line with what the king expected. What the king said, this is what you should be doing. I love how Mark Moore talks about this. He says, Such a man is not cast out because he is unworthy to enter. For all the present guests were unworthy. Now he is cast out because he, like the first guest, refused to enter worthily. You see, this man tried to enter on his own terms. And I love how BibleReference.com mentions this. It says, But going through the motions is not the same as deeply embracing the full meaning of the event. He was just there. He went on his own terms. He just went because he was invited, but he didn't want to follow the rules, the instructions. He didn't want to follow what he was told to do. And so what is the moral of the story? What is the moral of these 14 verses in Matthew 22? Well, I think the moral of the story is this. The kingdom of heaven, it requires authentic faith. The kingdom of heaven, it requires authentic faith. You see, the thing we keep coming back to this morning is the heart of the nation of Israel and its religious leaders over and over and over again. They would make mistakes and over and over and over again, they face judgment. And yet here we are, lessons still not learned. The Son of God is here and yet the religious leaders will refuse to believe in Him and will eventually hang Him on a cross then guess what? They're going to do the same things. They're going to create the same chaos for the apostles and they're going to kill them too. And, and here's the thing. These people, they know the law inside and out. They are legalistic to a fault and yet they are on the verge of losing everything because their faith lacked authenticity. They thought because of who they were, it was enough. Because they thought they were the nation of Israel and its leaders, they were enough. Just being the nation of Israel was not enough. And this is not what the kingdom of heaven required. But here's the sad truth this morning. 
There are many in this world this morning who say, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith, and yet it lacks authenticity. They wear the name Christian, but their faith lacks authenticity. It's counterfeit. And they want to follow on their own terms. And just like it said earlier, it's one thing to go through the motions and it's another thing to truly understand and believe to have that authentic faith. You know, Matthew 7, 21, 23 reminds us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And Jesus is saying, for all the, the nice things that they've done, their heart was never really truly set on them. And because of that, they would be turned away. No, you see, the kingdom of heaven requires an authentic faith. But like I said earlier, for so many Christians, is just a name that they wear, but their hearts are not set on Jesus. It's more of a convenience Christianity. It's more of a convenience Christianity. I will follow life until it gets hard, then I'm out. Just like the parable of the sower. I will follow you, Jesus, until you tell me that I can't live this lifestyle anymore. Or I I, I can't embrace the sin anymore. This is not real faith, but I'm convinced that there are so many in this world who live with this kind of faith each and every day. That if I'm just nice, then I'll get into the kingdom of heaven. If I do good things for people, then that's enough to get me into the kingdom of heaven. If I show up to church every once in a while, that's enough to get me into the kingdom of heaven. But no, that's not authentic faith. And so the question is, what kind of faith do you have? Is it real? Is it authentic? Or is it convenience? Is it counterfeit? There's a story that stands out to me when I think of authentic faith. Jesus has these people following him and they're all wanting to see what Jesus would do next. And so Matthew gives us an example of real faith and he uses a centurion. Now you see, centurions are often seen as in in a positive light in Scripture. And here we see a story of a centurion. In Matthew 8, 5-13 through it says this, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does that, or does it. When Jesus heard this, he was truly amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and they will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that 
moment. And what's so amazing about this is Jesus teaches all of these followers a lesson on what genuine, authentic faith looks like. You've you got two stories of, of going on here in this one, this one situation with the centurion. You have the centurion who comes before Jesus and he pours out his heart. Please, if you just say the word, I know right now, you don't even need to come into my house. Just say the word and, and he'll be healed. I know that you can do this. And Jesus is amazed at his faith. I haven't found anybody in the nation of Israel with such great faith. All the while, the crowd that's following, these people who are following Jesus, they're not actually following Jesus. They're there. They're there to see what he's going to do next. What kind of miracle is he going to perform next? What's going to happen next? And he tells them, guess what? This is real faith. And guess what? This nation of Israel... Man, they're going to be kicked out if they don't get their act together. And look who's going to enter. And we see this coming in the book of Acts. The Gentiles are going to be included in the kingdom. And it's amazing here. He uses the enemy of the Jews to teach them a lesson on faith. He's Roman. The centurion would be Roman. He's using this Roman centurion to show an example of what faith really looks like. And so again, I ask the question... What kind of faith do you have this morning? And you may be wondering, man, what does authentic faith actually look like? Well, you see, I think there are signs of authentic faith. I think there are signs of what an authentic faith looks like. I think if you have an authentic faith, we, you know, if, if you have an authentic faith, you hold to the word of God and you live it out and you defend the truth. You hold to the Word of God when things get difficult. You hold to the Word of God when life is tough, when trials and temptations come. You hold to the Word of God when everybody around you is telling you to let it go and just embrace sin, embrace the world, embrace all of it. Just, just let it go. But you hold to the Word and you, you live it out. You tell people and you defend the truth. James 1.22 reminds us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. What else? What other sign? Well, I think if you have authentic faith, you show compassion for those around you and you serve not for your own benefit, not for your own gain, but with a heart that wants to bring him glory. You see the problem with Matthew when he says, you know, some of you, uh, you may do all these things. You may say, Lord, Lord, but I'll say away from me. I never knew you. Their hearts were never centered on him. But if you were having authentic faith, everything you do is to bring him glory, to bring him praise, to bring him adoration. Everything you do when you serve others, it's not about you. It's not about what do I get? What do I gain? The religious leaders did everything for show. But that's not what we do. We do everything to bring God glory and adoration and praise. And so we serve others with a heart that wants to bring Him glory. James 2, 14 through 17 reminds us, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead. Authentic faith means you are going to serve Him. You're going to serve others for His glory. 
And I think a sign of authentic faith is that we sacrifice the life we were living and we live for Him. And in turn, we set our minds on Him and not things of this world. If our faith is authentic, then we don't mind putting to bed the things of this world. We don't live in the ways of this world. We don't try to do the things that the world does. And in turn, we set our minds on Him and we try to think like Him. The Holy Spirit helps us with that, to to take every thought captive, right? To make it more like what He's thinking, to have the same mindset. Romans 12, 1 and 2 reminds us, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In his article, How to Almost Follow Jesus, Marshall Siegel sums it up pretty well. He says, if we are truly following Jesus, we are not chasing miracles and spectacles like the crowds, but bowing our knees in reverent awe like the Roman centurion. We are not avoiding the cost of following Jesus at all cost, but but we're rejoicing to be rejected, opposed, and afflicted with him. We are not clinging to the loves we had before we met him, but submitting every other love to our first and greatest love. The kingdom of heaven, it requires an authentic faith, not a faith that is merely just convenient. Because I have bad news for you, convenience faith, counterfeit faith, is not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. And living with a faith that says, I'm going to do whatever I want and just hope that if I'm nice enough, that I'm, if I'm doing the things that I think I should be doing, that's going to be enough. No, that's not authentic faith. No, authentic faith is a faith that you want to live for God by God's word to tell people the truth, to defend the truth, to serve others for His glory, to try to live like Him. And you might be thinking, man, the standards seem pretty high. Well, guess what? He does have high standards because that's what He wants for us. He knows the things He has planned for us and He wants us to follow after Him. And yes, that may mean giving up some things, but like we said last week, it's worth it. But I got good news for you this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they make their way up, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to read that again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And maybe you're here this morning and you are saying, man, I have been living this thing all wrong. I've, I've said I have faith and yet my faith has been one foot in and one foot in the world. And, and I've been thinking, man, I can just enter in my own terms. I can do whatever I want. And that's not authentic faith. But maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I've got to live for him. Maybe you've never given your life to Him and and that's what you need to do this morning. And if you've never given your life to Him, I would love to talk with you. You can put it on your Connect cards. You can come up here and talk with me. Any of the elders would love to talk with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and and you, you have faith, but 
you've just gotten a little off track. You've just gotten a little bit off track. And maybe what you need to do this morning is you need to lay these things at the feet of Jesus and just spend time talking with Him. If that's the case, if you need to pray, you can pray where you're at. I'd love to pray with you. But what kind of faith do you have this morning? Is your faith authentic or is it convenience? Do you follow Jesus because you desperately want to follow after Him? you want to live by His Word? you want to do the things He says? And you don't just want to read it, but you want to actually do what He says? Or are you trying to follow at your own terms? And yesterday was a blessing. I got to sit back in the nursery when I was in between. And I, I was listening to Michelle Abbott tell her story. If you've never heard Michelle Abbott's story... I was glued in the entire time as she was telling it. And I just saw the joy on her face when she talked about how God changed her life. And I I, I listened and I thought to myself, that is real faith. That's authentic faith. That is somebody who knows what God has done in their life. And I'll tell you, God has done a lot of amazing things. But man, what better than the fact that God sent His Son for us. And so this morning, if you have a decision to make, if you need to spend time in prayer, please do so as we stand and we sing.